When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Sridhar talking about uh, the international business operations. Uh, if you look around us, the current global business environment has become pretty complex. The economic success of a country or a business entity depends on the extent of understanding effective management of its international business. We are so well connected nowadays that there is uh, the difference between local and global or local and international, whatever way you want to put, can be minimized. Uh, the boundary is pretty thin if you are using the right resources, uh, predominantly the internet, the mobile devices, the e-commerce. Several countries in the past three, four decades have achieved phenomenal progress by focusing on international business. Uh, many decades ago, it was Korea, Taiwan, those were the countries, and before that, Japan, and then came uh, China. The international business provides several business opportunities to the enterprises. It facilitates them to venture into really untapped world markets. It helps them to enhance their market share, their reputation, and their profitability. The firms which are utilizing international business, they do also to extend the product life cycle of their products. The business managers today need to develop a global perspective to ensure the businesses to keep them relevant and competitive. They should be able to extract maximum advantage by leveraging the opportunities provided by global sourcing, global manufacturing, global marketing, global supply chain management, and adapting global human source practices. This is the reason for international business to be included as a subject in most of the universities and business schools. I have with me today Dr. Sridharan to talk about his latest book, International Business Operations. Dr. C.K. Sridharan is an author and an academician. He has published six books. Three of them are fiction, one academic, and two self-help books. Dr. Sridharan is an engineer by training with the two MBAs, one MBA in international business and second in banking and finance. He also holds a doctorate, a PhD in management. After working in the corporate environment and gathering experience of uh, over three decades, he moved to academics to share his learnings and to do research. He is currently teaching international business to postgraduate students. Welcome, Dr. Sridharan. Thank you, Mahesh. Uh, Dr. Sridharan, I know you have written a lot of books 
on various subjects, but one very intriguing book which I saw very recently is very aptly named International Business Operations. And how it kind of created a curiosity in my mind. Normally, we are all seeing global business, global business environment, how to be successful. Uh, it is very pertinent to get somebody who can throw some light on the operation part of it. Because the operations part of it is in the background. But this is the most important piece of the puzzle to solve it. In the front end is exposure, talking about how it happens, how to secure the business, well, what really happens in it. And that is what fascinated me a lot about your book. And uh, I look at it from another perspective. The globalization was at a peak in past few years before some of the geopolitical uncertainties started to play in. And it had become part of our life. We would not think about ordering online anything that we needed and from which country, which continent, from where it is getting delivered was not even thought of. And why? Worry about it. You went online and you did it. And that was the beauty of the internet and e-commerce, which facilitated it. But after reading your book, it is very evident that there are a lot of very important and very critical pieces which have to move in unison and they have to align. They should be in sync for the success of the global business. What it is, is the back end and some part of the front end itself is the international business operations. Now, fast forward, if we come to the pandemic times, which we started facing from the beginning of this year, very, very different environment. Now, even if you take out the geopolitical implications, which were creating some issues in the operations of global business, now there was another issue which everybody was facing. How do you make it happen when there are multiple crises which have come into play? As they say today, there are three different crises playing. And on top of it is the main crisis, health crisis. So let's start first health crisis, second financial crisis, third, the demand crisis, the demands have gone down, and the last one, supply crisis. On the supply side, which is also part of international business operations, you don't have people because of the health crisis, they cannot come and work. That's how the pandemic panned out. And then slowly the things started improving. But all the underbelly of international business operations, it got exposed, or rather it got visibility that how important is that subject? And I'm really glad to see a book by you and the subject, and it covers it very well. So I just wanted to kind of start this 
uh, program with uh, getting your perspective on that, uh, you know, have you thought about and, and, and what is your perspective on international business operations, which is very, very important for globalization or global business to survive and thrive? See, see Mahesh, what has happened now, the international business thing is not a new one. It's been there for centuries. I mean, it's so old. Nobody knows when actually it all started, actually. We see that uh, b before Christ, even the Roman Empire time, the, I mean, the business, the international business, business flourished. See, the pandemic, see, the business, uh, international business has seen several ups and downs. There were several industrial cycles have, uh, have, uh, have crossed. But somehow the international business could survive through all these crises and only it could emerge stronger after each, uh, each and every crisis. Even this present pan pandemic also what happened, what has happened almost is tapering off. And, uh, and, and the industry slowly, I mean, the inter international business again slowly is coming back to its um, uh, uh, own, uh, own form. So now we see that the, uh, earlier what has happened, there used to be a distinct division between a domestic business and the international business. Now that border is almost blurred now. So now, now there is no business which is purely a domestic business. Okay. Even the small business also somehow they have some international uh, business exposure. So this thing is not going to, uh, uh, it is going to increase further in the volume and the intensity of the uh, international business is going to increase in the coming days. And now more and more uh, earlier, it was only that developed countries which are more into this business. Now, even that, even that the small countries, the developing countries, the develop, underdeveloped countries also coming into the fray. So in the coming days, I think there will be a good um, uh, scope for the international business and it will go in a big way in the coming days. That is what I feel. That's very valid point. That's very valid point. And that's where uh, probably what you're indicating is, is the definition in past which demarcated domestic business and international was huge. Domestic was easy to manage. There was no inter internet and uh, there was uh, no e-commerce. So you did business in your vicinity or, you know, within uh, your domain in, in the, those countries or continents where we knew you knew the policies. There was a method of payment. And if by any chance you wanted to go for international business, then you have to rethink everything, <laughs> you know, because the banking system, the payment procedures, the terms and conditions, all of them were very different from domestic. So, so a lot of uh, businesses were having this issue that either I'm domestic, so I do not have the bandwidth to, to run an international business. Or some companies picked up and built that skill set and uh, whatever paraphernalia needed to make it happen. And they became very successful. So the competition for that international business was very little because there are only few expert companies. And the moment we talk about more of these problems, and I think you would agree with me, in that case, the larger companies had more opportunities to go internationally. They could afford it. Correct? So going forward, if we look at it, the, there was a role for everybody in this business. There are 
individual companies who could do something, but then there were role of banks or a simple things like facilitating payments or the government policies, even to decipher and understand those policies. You know, because you're dealing from country A to country B, if you have a product or services, your government has a policy, what you can sell and what the processes are, and the receiving countries have their own policies, which made it very difficult in the past. And now it has become much more amalgamated. And then people are coming close to making it easy to work. Do you see, especially now, uh, any, anything special which you would uh, which you will call as the special difficulties in international business? See, now what is happening? Uh, so all the countries, now uh, earlier they're all inward looking. Say all inward looking and they were all trying to be self-reliant, self-sufficient and all that. It is actually the Chinese, uh, the, Ch the Chinese, I mean, uh, they're, they tried this uh, the special economic zone uh, uh, idea. So they created massive special economic zones and they become, a, I mean, very highly successful in uh, encouraging more and more exports. And Chinese economy from nowhere, I mean, I mean you've seen 1980s, China was lagging behind all the countries. Now it has almost bulldozed all over, I mean, I mean almost become num number two in the entire country. That is because of their, their thrust on the uh, uh, exports and international business. Seeing the success of this China, other countries also realized, I mean, how, I mean, how they can really prosper by uh, getting into this uh, international business wagon. But, uh, because that really makes, suppose you want to really get into international business, you should be competitive and you'll be dealing with different market and you have to understand the market. You'll be competing different type of people. Automatically what happened, your uh, innovation will improve, your, uh, uh, your technology will uh, improve and you will understand different market. It is okay. that what happened, the country as a whole as a, uh, develops by result of this international business. So, uh, so all the countries, we see uh, all small countries, the countries, even like uh, some of the small uh, Asian countries, I mean, they were, no, I mean, they were nowhere in the international scenario. Now they, they, they are making a big uh, march into the business. So now uh, earlier it was only the developed countries were more into the uh, international business. Now even there is a lot of developing countries are plunging into the, uh, in the international business. There are underdeveloped countries that are coming into this international business. And this uh, World Trade Organization, the umbrella of that really is also promoting these countries to have their own share in the international market. So in the coming days, I mean, it should only, the size should only grow bigger and bigger. And uh, of course, all the countries will have uh, really prosper by, uh, I mean, indulging in the international business uh, uh, activity. That's what, that's what I feel, actually. Okay. Wonderful, Dr. Sridhar. And uh, uh, we need to take a short break and we'll continue our discussions after the break. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, 
Global Business at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Sridharan today, and uh, we are talking about international business operations now this is very important subject for current times because pandemic has broken down the supply chains it has impacted the the operations for international business uh, very adversely we used to take uh, the operations part of international business uh, for granted like if i ordered something on amazon whether it's coming uh, to my hometown in uh, Houston, Texas, whether it's coming from China or coming from Boston or Buffalo, New York, or is coming from California, India, Brazil, Indonesia, Africa, I won't bother about it. Now, if you see there are a lot of things, a lot of pieces are moving perfectly, which is called international business and business operations. And I have with me uh, an author written uh, many books, Dr. Sridharan, as you heard him in the first segment we are talking about international business operation. Dr. Sridhar, my next uh, question to you is, uh, I know it's not a classroom, but still I would like to know, there, there, are there any set theories, a few things, which guide the international business? Yeah, there are, there are many. We see that there are a lot of theories, no? They talk about international business. And they also say why international business should be, will be beneficial to both the countries. Uh, we see right from uh, the book, no, we, we capture the oldest uh, known theory is that theory of mercantilism. Almost 15, in, the, in the year 1500, 1500, the theory was there. That time, what I was, the gold and silver, uh, they, were, they, were as a, uh, they were used as a currency of exchange. You know, from there itself, the theory has slowly evolved. Earlier, it was all protectionism. I mean, people talking about, I mean, uh, the country should try to uh, restrict exports, uh, go for more and more exports and restrict imports so that they can conserve a lot of gold and, gold and silver. But slowly, over the, over the period of time, all that authors, all that uh, scientists, all that uh, thinkers, they realize that, I mean, do, I, I mean getting, doing business with other countries is really going to uh, help both the, both the countries and it is going to help both that, uh, the trading partners because what they're going to do, Whatever they are in surplus, they are going to share it to the other country, which they don't have. Well, whatever the country is, I mean, having deficiency, that particular product, the, the company, the country can import. By doing that, both the trade will be beneficial. Okay. In fact, all the theories, starting from theory of mercantilism, you got uh, your uh, Adam Adam Smith uh, theory. Ultimately, if we go to Michael Porter's theory, he goes on to say that every country is having certain national competitiveness because there are certain industries. The country can really uh, do very well. The can, industry can be competitive, and uh, the country should really focus on those areas 
where the country is competitive for example countries like china country like india there are certain natural endowments no so the country should focus on those areas when they focus on those areas their exports will be competitive and by doing that what, what is the advantage here the moment you become export competitive see the available resources can be used in a very very uh, uh, very very uh, in a rational manner rather than wasting the resource the country which, which is efficient doing one particular job can do it uh, and the other country which is not able to do that in an efficient manner you can always import from other country by doing that they can always preserve they can make the optimum use of the resources that's what all these theories right from uh, mercantilism to the michael porter they all all advocate very strongly they they, uh, they recommend people to uh, countries to go for uh, uh, go for exports in those areas where they are competitive and 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 resort to imports the areas where they are not really competitive by doing that both the countries can be benefited and also at the same time the resources available resources also can be very very optimally utilized mm-hmm. very very good point uh, which you talked about in 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 the transition from theory of mercantilism to michael porter's theory of national competitive advantage it probably uh, traveled through certain other theories in between also probably they were either the, the corollaries or they added into it as as you're talking in your book about theory of absolute advantage theory of comparative advantage you know factor endowments Uh, all in trade theory product life cycle trade theory new trade theory and eventually the most recent one probably i can put as michael porter's theory of national competitive advantage is that the right sequence to look at it yeah this is a, see we see this each theory i mean it's uh, it's i mean uh, it it's a better uh, perspective of the trade actually so all so improvement no people have realized if you see the theory of theory of mercantilism they say that, i mean the country should uh, try to preserve more and more silver silver and gold how they can do it the, the mercantilism mercantilism theory promotes each country should try to export more and at the same time they should import less okay that means what they want to uh, they want to practice that uh, 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 i mean uh, practice something so they can they, they can earn more and more gold and silver uh, i mean second thing uh, your uh, adam smith theory says so whichever country is having uh, advantage the the particular thing the country should trade wherever there is not an advantage they should start importing other countries but if you see the all the trades and the new trade theory and there is a product life cycle theory what happens is all the innovation starts in a developed country after some time what happen slowly uh, after some time uh, uh, that same product is shifted to a developing country by doing that what the company is doing they are extending the product life cycle that's what he says so that means what uh, that's what practically we see all the mncs that's what they do innovation do it to the home, home country they develop a new product when they become they, when they reach that declining stage they transfer that product to a developing country by doing that what they are doing they extending the life cycle of the product but ultimately we go last the michael porter what he says he says i mean he gives a very comprehensive uh, theory about the entire international business it talks about lot of factors they talks about national uh, advantage he talks about the, the diamond theory diamond model where some of the factors are favorable those factors are favorable that industry the country should really focus and other uh, uh, factors where it is not favorable those uh, industry uh, those products the company country should start importing rather than wasting resources on and wasting resources on doing the product which they are not competitive yes and you know this 
Michael Porter's diamond, as you rightly mentioned, is a pretty effective tool to understand it. And, and one good part about and positive which comes out of it is uh, example of Japan, that you can even develop a competitive global economic presence and you can develop a competitive advantage even by creating new conditions in your country. Like for, for Japan, uh, what, what was mentioned, uh, as I've read in the past, was they created engineers, which helped drive technological innovation, but Japanese industries. And that they did many years back. When I say years, means few decades back. So you already have inherent advantages. So once you identify, that clearly gives you the one advantage you have. But at the same time, you can also identify what you don't have and what you should be creating as new factor advantages for yourself. You can have something like a very good presence and hold on industry. You can develop skilled labor if you focus on it, or you can provide government support of a country's economy to develop it, correct? Because inherently you will have landmass, you can have location, labor resources, natural resources, population, somebody will have less, somebody will have more. But I think uh, the, the point you mentioned is very important that using the porter's diamond, it is not necessary that, uh, well rather that's not the right word I'm using, it tells you what are the competitive advantage as a nation, as a national advantage you have, and how governments, they should focus on catalyzing to improve countries' position. Your government is the supreme agency. They're definitely, industries have a role, but they can help in creating a globally competitive products, services, that kind of advantages. Once you recognize it, so the theory by Porter and, and giving that Porter's diamond. So in, in summary, I would say it tells you what your advantages are and also where a nation should focus on building it. And it could be just government or it could be government and industry. It could be government, educational institutions and industry. So everybody has a role in it. You know, how, how do you use uh, the model effectively to decide that do you have enough national advantages to create success for yourself in a global competitive market environment? So first step could be you can leverage it. And uh, beyond that, if you want to grow exponentially, you can build it. And you gave a very good example of some of the things uh, China did by just creating those uh, export zones, specially made for that. And uh, uh, the skill set development, some of the countries which are uh, more prominent in knowledge-based industries, uh, example comes to the knowledge, knowledge balance of uh, global business right now, which is uh, India, it's labeled as uh, the knowledge balance. And they can leverage their knowledge base because they have been so good in knowledge-based services uh, which they have been providing to the whole world. 
And uh, thanks to, I'm saying they got helped by uh, the advent of computer, IT services, e-commerce and all. But at the same time, those governments can use the Porter's Diamond to identify where else they can bring that expertise to create a global advantage. So with that, Dr. Sridharan, uh, we'll take a short break and uh, we will probably continue our discussion on this uh, very interesting topic after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And uh, we are having very, very interesting discussions with Dr. Sridharan. In the second segment, we talked about the various theories in uh, international business operations. You can call it global business. In the segment two, now we're in segment three. And uh, we closed the segment with uh, the diamond, so called diamond theory made famous rather invented by our friend uh, who is good at, very good rather at strategy and very popular uh, Michael Porter. So Arshidan, that was a very interesting discussion on how uh, various theories have evolved and Michael Porter's theory of national competitive advantage is under the spotlight and how it can be used very well uh, to drive your aspirations for global business and international and an important part of it as international operations very important subject now since we are on these national competitive advantages triggered by uh, mr porter i want to take your advice for our listeners on what influences trade globally and i will start with with two pointers uh, which we have noticed in, 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 in the global markets, one was we saw geopolitical moves, which we can understand. There could be political compulsion, there could be uh, national stands by the governments to do certain things in a certain way. 
But then it came in 2017, after the new president took over in U.S., a major shift, and there could be a generation of possible long-term, uh, I would not call conflict, I would say hurting the easy sentiment of global business, which was the tariffs which got put on China. Now, we know the background. As uh, Peter Novarano, he presented that uh, surprisingly in the National Security Council meeting of government of United States of America in the early part of 2017, when they were looking at the national security, who could be aggressor, they identified China as an economic aggressor. Now, here you see a national security issue is getting related to economic aggression. Yes, it has relevance there, but they identified that as a major issue and took several major actions, which was sanctions and the tariffs and all, which, in, which is unheard of. Because if you're following the Ricardian model of free trade, it's very different. It is free trade. And, and where the definition of free trade is free, fair, balanced, and not regulated. It's open. And, and, and the way the team looked at that, okay, what should be expected from your trading partners? That there should be no tariff barrier. And there should be, sorry, no tariff. There should be no non-tariff barrier. There should not be any uh, currency manipulation. There should not be industry protection by giving subsidies or adding VAT and all those four or five criteria on which they looked at what should we do for an economic aggressor. And that's where they identified that China was scoring zero on all of them because they were not complying. So if they were following the Ricardian model of free trade, they should also uh, not put any tariff if you are really in a free trade. But what we saw was, to even come to the discussion table was, U.S. put tariffs on it. So now that started a kind of debate in the global stage and people started thinking their minds that, okay, so there could be a government influence on trade. And I'm really glad to see a chapter in your book which says government influence on trade. And this is where uh, our listeners would love to listen to you. And how does government influence trade? So Mahesh, if you see that all the governments know the preach free trade because the government know free trade is going to be beneficial to both the trading partners. But what has happened, unfortunately, the China has distorted the entire world trade. You see that the dumping has become China's main foreign trade policy because the, over a period of time, China has created a lot of uh, surplus uh, capacities in steel and another, another, another area is your textile, another area is your solar cells. If you see that, because they have overcapacity, they're dumping these products into other countries. Sometime back, the China's, I mean, textile, China's textile, China used to give a lot of subsidies to the textile industry. With that, what happened? They've become so competitive, the price becomes so less, they killed the entire world textile market. Today, the textile market is non existent in other countries at all. Same thing has happened to the steel also. It's built up such a overcapacity. 
they are just dumping the street product in all all over the world they are dumping in uh, european union they are dumping in uh, us they are dumping in other countries when they are dumping what is, what, is, what is going to happen when the dumping takes place do no regard to the cost price just dump at whatever cost it is there that is going to really injure the your harm your domestic industry so no government is really i mean we like to see the domestic industry being threatened or uh, uh, damaged because there will be a lot of social unrest there, there will be economic unrest there a lot of other adverse i mean uh, implications will arise for the government so that is that is the reason why the us is i mean we see that even that uh, uh, even our uh, your earlier president the donald trump almost threatened to the extent of uh, i mean take i mean getting out of this wto framework because they he thinks that wto is not able to really uh, restrain refrain china from doing all this uh, uh, activities really against the tenets of your uh, wto okay see dump, what what is doing the china has self declared itself as a developing country and dumping everywhere is giving subsidies to the, all that uh, industries with the result what is happening they destroying the entire world market so every government no when it comes to national security is what a, in fact when the trump went on to the extent of saying that national security nobody i mean even the wto also should not interfere in the matters of national security it is actually the individual government they should they should take a call because of this china the aggressive stand taken by china which uses dumping as a main foreign trade policy that created a lot of repercussions in the world trade so every country now what happened they are they are they are trying to protect their domestic industry by uh, resorting to that uh, anti dumping duty so the anti dumping the, the charge at anti dumping dumping duty the, the country on, on which is charged uh, i mean naturally will not be happy at all so unless uh, unless the china i mean starts behaving in a very very uh, uh, sensible manner i mean uh, this i, I don't uh, this issue will be, really become a really very very complicated in the coming days so one was that uh, and you bring in a very good good point that they created excess capacity and tried to use that as an advantage supported by subsidies you know and and then to some extent uh, through uh, the valuation of their currency that's the side of um, allowing the industry to flourish by working in competition in international market and creating a competitive advantage for their own industry and products and on the other side how do you see the chinese market for rest of the world the chinese what have happened now uh, see now uh, of course uh, till the till this till this outbreak of this pandemic uh, corona i mean china was the most uh, i mean preferred destination for all the mncs now the real is that, i mean depending solely on china is not not going to be a, a good long term strategy for them because the chinese population is aging now the cost of labor is also going up now they are now trying to spread to other countries where they get a, uh, i mean very much comparative competitive uh, i mean advantage for example all the south, south i mean there are a lot of countries in asia south asia there are a lot of countries like philippines bangladesh vietnam and all these countries know they trying to including india okay they they trying to shift all the production bases from china to india and all these south asian countries and it will be a good thing for these countries and i mean uh, and it will not be lost for china because china's china's interest is already well established there and uh, uh, still china is going to be a, a big uh, competition to the other countries 
uh, in the rest of the world as well. That's a good point. So, so there was uh, a movement where Chinese were subsidize, subsidizing uh, their own products to be competitive in the marketplace. And especially on, on the manufacturing side, they were even being called at times the global factory for the whole world. And they were also attracting the companies, established known companies from the rest of the world to come and manufacture there so that they can get the advantage of access to the latest technology or the new ways of manufacturing, do, doing new things, all the innovations they can get. Do you think they had uh, a, a protection for their industry from companies not putting in plant there, but selling from the rest of the world in the in domestic fact, market? One yeah, was, I, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, sorry, please continue. Yeah. So one is they were pushing their own manufacturing up, going to global market and sell, getting high technology, good, innovative products from the rest of the world to be manufactured in their country for their own uh, use. But buying of products from the rest of the world, what they protect, you think there is a protection against that also, um, that to go and sell there if you're not manufacturing there? In fact, see, we see that the Chinese economy, see, they don't have a, uh, uh, there's not a self-consumption there. See, because whatever China produces is for the world market. In fact, China has become a, a manufacturing hub for the entire world. Uh, because they offered such a, what happened, uh, you rightly said that they had all the factor, of, uh, factor, factor conditions favorable to them. They had this land, they had the capital came through the tall FDIs, foreign debt investment, a lot of investors from Hong Kong, they... Uh, I mean, mostly they are, they are Chinese origin. They trade, uh, invested in China. And with this, what happened? China built up an excellent infrastructure because it said that China is having one of the world's best infrastructure available today. So it attracted a lot of companies. MNC, they made all the laws. I mean, uh, uh, as a, I mean very, very uh, investor friendly. All the MNCs, they uh, rushed to China to put up their bases. So and this concept of a special economic zone offering special incentives, special benefits to those, those industries, really made and proximity to the harbors. If you see that all the ports, out of uh, 10 major ports in the world, seven are there in China, all major ports. Uh, all the special economic zones are closely located near the ports. All that gave a lot of advantage to the production basis. So the China could produce product at a very, very much uh, I mean, competitive price. Soon they captured the entire market. Uh, so, so this is the condition now what is happening now this now this is a past story now now uh, after the pandemic what has happened the, the mnc's also realized that it is not uh, good for them to solely i mean depend only on one country because this pandemic what happened is it crippled the entire see a lot of mnc's really they had a lot of setback now started started thinking that instead of i mean focusing the entire operation in one country it's always better to spread out that's what happened in the recent times the companies are com coming out of China and trying to locate themselves in other places which are equally competitive. Wonderful, Dr. Sridharan. Uh, we are now at a time when we need to take another short break and we will continue our interesting discussions after the break. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, In the third segment, we talk to our guest today. Dr. Sridharan, about how the tariffs and non-tariff barriers are being or were being leveraged by certain countries in the past to develop competitive advantage. Now, those are not the national competitive advantages which uh, the diamond model of Michael Porter suggests. He gives ideas about how to identify them and develop them. So, very interesting discussion, uh, uh, Dr. Sridharan. Now, while we talked about these tariff barriers, uh, uh, sorry, the trade barriers, you know, tariff, non-tariff, subsidies, foreign exchange, and how you're benefiting, there is and there are organizations which were created to take care of them. Starting from, you know, the formation of United Nations. Can Can you walk us through that, so our listeners can uh, can get that insight into that. How did it come into existence? Where they stand now? Because I think they all started after the formation of United Nations. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mahesh, you see, it is, see, we, we, we recollect the Second World War. It it lasted from 13, 1939 to nineteen forty four. Okay. In the Second World War, is much more uh, wider. It was much more wider in scope. And most of the countries are really very badly affected. During the time, all these countries, uh, the, the entire, all the countries' economy was in shambles actually. So, with the, uh, it was only one country which was not affected at all by the Second World War. There was the United Nations, uh, United States of America, because the Second World War was fought mainly outside USA. So the USA did not really have the impact of the Second World War, but other countries were really impacted. So US, what happened? They wanted to, I mean, bring back the economy of other countries. And they, they thought that the only mechanism could be to uh, uh, to encourage trade among the countries. So what happened when the countries start trading, there will be a good cooperation among them and they can build up a good rapport, uh, rapport among them. And they, when they come closer to each other, I mean, uh, the, the possibility of further war could be avoided. And also what happened when they share their resources, okay, the countries also can, can flourish. With the intention of what happened in 1945, the United Nations was formed. The idea was to bring in all the nations together, unite the nations so that what happened, there is a world peace, there is no more world war. So all, all countries exist in, uh, exist in peace and um, uh, peace and, uh, and they, they, they all countries progress together. Then what happened along with it, in, in somewhere in 1948, they started this one more uh, international, uh, they started a uh, three world, uh, world institutions like your um, 
it was on ITO, International Trade Organization. They started this International Monetary Fund. They started this World Bank. All the three uh, international institutions were formed to bring in peace and ensure that all the countries, the economy really the, uh, develop, they prosper and come out of this uh, um, uh, uh, impact of the Second World War. So in the 1940s, what happened? Somehow the International Trade Organization should, should not, uh, could not become a full-fledged institution like uh, our IMF and the World Bank. And soon, I mean, it lost its significance. In this place, what happened, all the, some, some other countries came together and formed this uh, GATT, uh, the GATT as an international trade organization. So that what, what happened, all the countries can come together under the platform of this, uh, this GATT and can and, 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 I mean, and, I mean, enter into multilateral uh, trading system. So GATT was there from 1948 to uh, almost about 1995. But the GATT could really could not succeed at all because the GATT had its own lot of problems. The GATT, there was no institutional structure and, uh, I mean, and the agreement just remained agreements only. No country really bothered to implement them in their uh, thing. So it was not really effective. So yeah, to make it, it was, much more, by name uh, itself, it was a general agreement on uh, trade and tariff, correct? Then what happened? They bring in a, a new order in the entire world. The World Trade Organization formed in the year 1995, January 1st, okay? So they went on, went on, went on. Okay, they went on, went on, went on. This main objective of WTO was to ensure free trade, no barrier. So what happened? The entire world benefits from the free and fair trade. But over a period of time, what happened? That even though there was the intention that uh, slowly, slowly, what happened? The tariff and non-tariff barriers, the WTO also could not really completely eliminate them. Even today, also, even in the era of uh, free trade, still, there, I mean, countries they still practice uh, trade barriers. And also the, the, the practice uh, other barriers through the non-tariff barriers. There is a tariff barrier. There is a non-tariff barrier. Still, that uh, system is not completely do away with this tariff barrier. Still, it is existing. That's, that's very important to know. And uh, we are already seeing some signs when uh, President Trump came into power. He indicated that WTO should be doing their job better. Do you remember that? Yeah. So that was an indication that it was identified that uh, some countries are taking advantage of it, even though they are member of WTO. So they have created those artificial barriers for themselves. Now, how do you see the role of these uh, international financial institutions? See, the international financial institutions, you see that, see, among that you can, uh, that is, comes to mind is your, one is your uh, World Bank. The World Bank, again, they, they don't, I mean, they don't actually, uh, they only look after, they, they're only focusing more on the underdeveloped countries. They're, they're more into all the poverty uh, alleviation schemes and all that. We come to other one, the International Monetary Fund, they're only coming to picture wherever the, the country is having a balance of pay, payment. Okay. If other countries like your Asian Development Bank and you have a BRICS Bank and all that, they are, they, are, they are into more and more developmental assistance. But, uh, but if we see all the um, financial institutions also, there's always a criticism, it's all controlled by all the major powers. That is the reason why, uh, surely these all the countries that started, uh, started they, they commenced this BRIC bank, uh, is exclusively for all that uh, BRIC countries, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, so, South Africa, and China. These countries are, they think that uh, there's a stepmother treatment for, for the, for the develop, uh, developing countries from the uh, other um, uh, financial institutions, they, they slowly what happened, they break away from this main thing that started their own BRICS bank and all that. 
see there are if we, if we see there are also there are a lot of um, uh, uh, there's a lot of i mean uh, there's a lot of i mean there's not a, a lot of misunderstanding a lot of uh, lack of trust among the countries uh, between the developing countries and developed countries there's always a lack of trust the developing countries always accuse the developing uh, developed countries to taking them for a ride and not i mean uh, everywhere all the forums inter international forums they are only dictating terms they are not really happy uh, so so what happened there is a groups are really slowly breaking away they are into smaller and smaller groups ah very nice well uh, dr uh, <coughs> sridharan very very interesting discussions and uh, unfortunately we have run out of time we will continue to to discuss in uh, maybe next some sessions we'll create it uh, so that we can cover some other very important parts which you have covered in your book again just to summarize uh, and thanks to you on touching base and uh, how important is the international business operations what's the difference between domestic and international business what are the international trade theories and uh, how the the tariffs and non tariff barriers have been used to create competitive advantages uh, instead of uh, using porter's diamond model and uh, how the role of the international institutions for controlling trade and tariff which is you know wto world bank etc have evolved over a period of time and what's the role of uh, the development assistance banks like uh, asian development bank brics etc so thank you so much it's a very pertinent time that we could have this discussion really appreciate your time You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.